This week on episode 483 of Priority One, we trek out Discovery's Season 4 Renewal, the SFX Info Dump, and Mike McMahon's second week of interviews. We're also joined by the Roddenberries to talk about their upcoming virtual extravaganza. In Star Trek Gaming, we look at Star Trek Online's legend... wait for it... Dairy Mirror Bundle, Bort's Borked Weapons, and we deep dive the newest episode, Partisans. Finally, we head on screen to trek out Discovery's Season 3 premiere, That Hope Is You, Part 1. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by Eagle Moss Hero Collector and the brand new official Star Trek Online Starship Collection at herocollector.com forward slash ST online. Save 10% with code Priority one zero at checkout, plus free shipping. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 483 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded live on Tuesday, October 20th, 2020, and available for download or streaming on Friday, October 23rd at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. I'm Kat. And I'm Tony. Captains, each week between episodes, we love to engage in conversations with you, our listeners, on places like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So if you aren't already following us on any of those, be sure to look us up. There we post things like community questions, special announcements, and more. Just search for a Priority One podcast on your favorite social media app and you will find us. Or you can just email us. Reach out to us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captain's engaging with you between our episodes is one of the highlights of producing this show. Unfortunately, Captain's producing it is something that doesn't come cheap. For instance, this week we are trying out some new technology to help streamline our production process and help make our weekly editing work much easier. As you know, Captains, this production is a labor of love. All of us here on Priority One, myself included, Tony, Kat, nobody earns a dime for the work that they contribute to the show. We are much like a community theater group, and we rely on you, our audience, to help continue to support our show. If you're interested in supporting Priority One Podcast, visit us over at patreon.com forward slash Priority One. But if financial support isn't in the cards for you, don't forget about sharing our show to all your friends. Hit that like, retweet, and or share button when you come across one of our posts, or perhaps you'd like to join the team. That's right, Captains. As I mentioned earlier, we run this production much like a community theater group. So if you have time and would like to help contribute to the ongoing production, visit us over at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Click on the Join the Team link at the very top, and there you'll see a list of all the available positions. For instance, we're looking for audio editors, live stream technicians, support with our graphic arts, you name it, there's something that we need help with. So, again, PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's check it out. Star Trek Discovery's third season took off, or... 
crash landed this past week, but the cast and crew continue to look forward towards the future. That's true both in front of and behind the camera, because Star Trek Discovery Season 4 was officially announced on StarTrek.com this week. The announcement was made via a 50-second video with appearances from showrunners Alex Kurtzman and Michelle Paradise, and series stars Sonequa Martin-Green and Doug Jones. Here's a clip of the audio. Star Trek Discovery. Season 4. It's official. We are back. November 2nd. Production begins. But with COVID restrictions, how will the show start filming? Likely in much the same way season three wrapped. In an article published on IndieWire, Alex Kurtzman talked a bit about Star Trek's pioneering home-created visual effects, saying, quote, our editors miraculously and heroically took their editing bays into their living rooms and we cut the entire season in collaboration, just the way I'm talking to you right now. We also scored the entire season, mixed the entire season, color timed the entire season, and all from this laptop over which this Zoom interviewer occurred, end quote. Kurtzman explained that even actors took the craft home, filming with motion capture suits so they could be inserted later. Quote, it's an actual actor at their home motion capture studio, which then gets rendered in the computer as a living thing. It's a real person. Each of our actors have been scanned so we can actually impose their faces on a body, which is quite something. End quote. The cast is reportedly in Toronto so that they may appropriately quarantine. There may be a Mandalorian-ish AR wall heading to the Star Trek sets as well. So the future of the future looks pretty bright. Are they actual actors if they're doing motion capture and they're imposing faces on bodies? Is that the same? They most certainly <laughs> are. They most certainly, you see, the acting is not just about the facial expression. It's also about the body. You have to use the body and the space around you. I don't know. I just feel like Kurtzman was saying something, but not saying it. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm really curious about it's an actual actor in their home motion. Uh, it, uh, is he talking about, like, extras, or is he talking, like, the series stars? It might be a little bit of I'm just I'm curious about how that all is supposed to look together. So. Actually, you know what really caught my attention in this was the fact that they're looking at adding the AR wall that the Mandalorian used. Oh, that's a no-brainer. And if they manage to do it the way the Mandalorian did, then it's going to be gorgeous because The Mandalorian just overall was a very beautiful show. Yeah. So if they can use that technology and apply it to Star Trek, I'm sure they'll innovate even yeah. further it's with it. It's a no-brainer. If they, can, if, they can, if they have the money and the space to pull it off, they, they will. Absolutely. The world's number one sci-fi, fantasy, and horror mag, SFX, caught up with the cast of Star Trek Discovery and its captain, Alex Kurtzman, to talk about Discovery's third season. But since Kurtzman has the proverbial keys to the Star Trek castle, discussion veered to some of the other Trek offerings. Break out your bibs, polish your silverware, and grab a seat at the table. Here come the Trek nuggets. Thanks, Jake. Kurtzman told reporter Darren Scott that Discovery's jump to the distant future wasn't always in the cards, and the plan was originally to jump a mere 300 years. When pressed about why that was changed, Kurtzman replied, quote, I can only answer half your question. I don't want to spoil things, but I will tell you that one thing we were very excited about was being entirely free of canon. Michelle and I certainly felt strongly that jumping a thousand years into the future just gave us room to invent a lot of things. It allowed us to put Star Trek into a blender, meaning every assumption that you have about staples of the Trek universe can be upended in a thousand years because nothing could possibly be exactly what it was. That was a really exciting challenge for us, end quote. Kurtzman continued these sentiments when talking about Discovery 
series Big Bad, which would not be the Borg, because that story was told by Picard. Quote, yes, it goes back to what I was saying earlier, which is that putting things in a blender means people who used to be allies are now enemies and vice versa. That's a really interesting thing to play with because it forces you to take what you know about Star Trek and some of the characters and some of the species and aliens and see them through the looking glass in a different way. End quote. When asked about the toll jumping a thousand years into the future took on the Discovery crew, and whether the past would still play a part in Season 3, Kurtzman responded cautiously, quote, I'm trying to answer your question without spoiling too much. Burnham is absolutely going to look to the past to try and understand what happened to Spock. She will dive into that, and she will get to see what became of her brother, and that will actually impact the story for her in a significant way. I've just told you more than I told anybody about that, end quote. Why does he keep wanting to put things in a blender? Quit it. <laughs> He's on, a, he's on a smoothie diet. He's on a Star Trek smoothie diet. He doesn't no. want to have to chew anything. He just wants Can't. to sort of like, you know, gurgle. He wants to gargle it and then let it go down. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Kurtzman explained the difficulties of filming during the epidemic, calling it a very systematized, militarized operation. But the franchise captain wasn't throwing a pity party. In fact, he mentioned there was some good coming from the social distancing and crippling feelings of isolation. Quote, we would have been in production already on Picard, but we couldn't because of COVID. It's pushed our discovery and strange new world states just a bit, but I think we're actually planning on staying on track for those. The silver linings are that Akiva Goldsman and Henry Alonzo Myers are ready to show up and able to get ahead with scripts. By the time we go back into production, we will have a lot of scripts ready to go, which is not usually how it is for us. We're always running ahead of the freight train that is production and trying not to get flattened. But this time, we actually have some advance warning with a lot of prep time. End quote. And what of the the oft-discussed Star Trek films? Kurtzman has some thoughts on those, too. Quote, I have no involvement in it right now. I don't know where that's going. Frankly, I have my hands very full. Having done two of those films, I love them so much. I really would love to see continuity and unification between the features and the TV side, because I think that's what's good for Star Trek. And that can be done any number of ways. End quote. The article is so full of info, we could spend an entire show going through it, but we'll just post a link to the magazine, which features the full interview with the cast and even more goodies in our show notes. You know, some people have postulated that in season three of Disco, the Vulcans might be the adversary in this new galactic universe. That was the Gorn. Well, they talk about the Gorn having done something to three light years of subspace or something oh, like that. okay. But the production part of this is going to be uh, difficult for season four, but, you know, season three is in the can, and this is their moment. This is the chance for them to show that they've got their bearings now, and that they've got a direction, and the the, the blender and the, the, the big bad and all that kind of stuff. I'm just, just waiting. Just waiting. Ken from Chicago says in the chat, logic extremists run amok. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's Maybe. a fine theory, and Ken's not not wrong. But that was Enterprise. I mean, that was the thing in Enterprise. They've uh, already, Star Trek's already done this. I don't know that in Enterprise the Vulcans were necessarily an adversary. They, they were, were. Yeah, they were. They were not adversaries. Yes, they were. They were not. I never looked at them as an adversary. They weren't antagonists, a... but they were adversaries. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. Yes, all right, yes, that's fair. They had that's an fair. agenda okay. that was against the United Earth Space Probe Agency and Starfleet and stuff. They mm. they purposely slowed them down. They trickled out knowledge. They supported okay, them, I... right? So I'm hoping that that's not what happened. I'm hoping that they catapult these, these people a thousand years in the future to have a new problem and a new enemy and all that kind of stuff. I'm hoping that they 
don't redo Enterprise because it wasn't good until season four. That leads us to our first community question this week. Who do you think Discovery's big bad will be? Let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or by replying to our community question post on our social media channels like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Well, following last week's interview extravaganza, Mike McMahon followed it up with more interviews. Well, at least one more interview. This week, the Lower Decks creator pulled up a chair with io9 and Riker maneuvered himself into a discussion about humanity. McMahon talked to io9 reporter James Whitbrook about his feelings on Starfleet, perfection, and humans. Quote, We're constantly examining this concept of Starfleet that's like, everybody knows that Starfleet is the best of us, and they're perfect, and they're this unified group that's out in the stars looking for truth, and everyone has to be moral and ethical, and Prime directive E, But at the same time, they're also human, you know? Every episode of Star Trek is about humanity, as much as it is about our future. There's aspects of humanity that just feel like Star Trek has humans in it. It's not a perfect, ideal, robotic future for us." End quote. McMahon continued on topics he covered last week, like replicator programs and the need-to-know struggles Lower Deckers deal with. He also, again, discussed humanity's need for stories and how that need affects Lower Decks. Quote, You see that a lot with our Lower Deckers, and with the bridge crew as well. Humans are a species that gab. We process and we share information that is interesting to us. Part of the humanity on the Cerritos is they're talking about Roga Danar. They're talking about data. These are things that are interesting to them, and it serves a dual purpose for making that humanity come through and making that examination of content in Starfleet come through. End quote. Well, Captains, that's it for this week's Star Trek Headlines. Now we welcome our special guests, the Roddenberries, to talk about their upcoming virtual event. Security clearance level 3 or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization, Sisko Alpha 1 Alpha. Logs accessed. Captains, on this episode of Priority One Podcast, we are excited to have with us the Roddenberries. Now, not everybody, but we have with us Beth and Bill. Thank you both for joining us on this episode. We have a lot to cover. There's an exciting event coming up, and that's what you're here to talk about. And I'm really excited. <laughs> and why are you excited, Elio? Because you guys rock is why. And I am... No, no, there's more. There's more. You know what? I love that answer, but I have a feeling, and for all you people right now watching, listening, and uh, reminiscing about all the quality episodes of Priority One, this cat up here is a freaking rock star. Now, some people they, they, that you just pointed at you me just, on my yeah. screen. That's, oh, did I? Wherever yeah, Ilio is. Yeah, it's, it's for me. He's right there. I appreciate the sentiment. Really, I do. But I have a feeling I'm having a hard time living up to it. Right there. Thank you, thank you. So, so let's talk about this event, this extravaganza, the Roddenberry's Showdown 2020. Uh, first up, let's talk uh, just about just conceptually, because originally this was supposed to be a show that uh, was put up early summer, right? And then, unfortunately, COVID hit. So, talk to us a little bit about having to adjust, right? You guys are a big band, close quarters. It's the performers' lifestyle, right? Everybody's breathing on top of each other, and if they haven't already spread something they're gonna let's talk about that let's talk about COVID how it impacted you guys how it impacted your plans for 2020 it's true it, it is it is even even with the size of the 
the venue World Cafe Live where we performed last year, um, it's still, even backstage, it's very close quarters. And uh, we were ready to go and we were selling tickets for our June show. And um, we had uh, JG uh, and uh, Robert O'Reilly all plane tickets bought for uh, for Robert, hotel rooms booked, everything. And then, yeah. Then John Paladin too. And John Paladin. And uh, we realized, uh, obviously, you know, March, April that yeah, it looks like this is not going away. And so we thought, okay, well, uh, maybe it's just going to be for a few months. So we, we bumped the show to October. And as we were approaching October, it seemed, uh, you know, it, like towards the middle of the summer, we're like, yeah, this isn't going anywhere anytime soon. So there's going to be no live performances. I mean, World Cafe Live was toying around with the idea of limited capacity, but we can't support the show financially with the, a limited capacity show and flying in an actor and uh, bringing JG down and hotel rooms and all of that. Yeah, the safety aspect as well, because, um, you know, Bob and JG are a little bit older. They're still very young, but maybe in a risk group. And we didn't want to put them in close quarters. Um, for us, you know, for me specifically with and the dancers, you know, we all have a bunch of costume changes and back and forth, same dressing room. So it wouldn't have been safe really for anybody. That's our biggest concern. You know, we just want everybody to have a great time, but we don't want to we're not looking for anybody to get sick obviously so we had to figure out how we're going to try and translate what would be the biggest show we've ever planned essentially into um a way that it could be safely palatable for audience members and we wanted to really try and translate as much of what our live show is into something virtual which you know in the beginning we're like oh all right look cool let's just make it virtual and then you know let's do it and we decided to do it and then it's like all right now we're going to figure out how to do it and then zoom meeting after zoom meeting after zoom after zoom after zoom and then more zooms happened it was like wow this is uh i thought getting together a regular show was a lot of work this is absolute we're crazy we kept checking each other the whole time going we must be insane like literally insane yeah. all the factors that went in so let's talk about this format. Let's talk about this extravaganza, this spectacular, 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 right? Um, <laughs> it is, it, it's airing October 29th. And let's talk about this new format, what you guys did for it, and what everybody can expect. The question here, Elio, is what didn't we do? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we we literally like we figured out how we could rehearse safely with a 10 piece band. Uh, and that includes a horn section. Well, technically with a horn section, that makes us 12 all the way across the room facing the wall with the ends of their instruments masked. Um, so we couldn't even hear what they were playing, really, when we were rehearsing. And then, you know, how we were going to film everything safely. So we took a bunch of it to Rittenhouse Filmworks. And, you know, in the beginning, way back in, in I guess, April or May at this point, we did like three quarantine videos, which is, you know, it, a lot of bands have done this and they did it a lot earlier in the in the pandemic when, you know, everybody was just stuck in their houses going crazy. Everybody would do a song, agree on a song, film themselves on their cell phones doing their parts and then send it to one person. In our case, we have two editors in the group, which is, you know, thank the powers that be. Um, glory to Val for that one. 
or else none of this would be happening right now. <laughs> so we did three of those and, you know, we actually considered in the beginning, maybe we should do it like that. And almost immediately we kind of agreed like what, why, how is that fun for anyone? You know, people, we were talking about this actually um, on our panel that we just did for Virtual Trek Con. There are so many things that have come out and we're kind of seeing like the same kinds of things over and over again. And people are on their computers. They're in their houses all day. They're working from home. They're going to school from home. Their kids are home and everybody's out of their mind. So, you know, as far as looking at your computer, if we're going to expect someone to sit in front of their computer or their television, which we're hoping more people will do because this really, we want it to be a, a real virtual event. They can actually be entertained and be engaged and, and not be like, you know, 10 minutes in, oh, I'm going to go grab some popcorn or get a beer or whatever, just kind of trail off because it's kind of hard to keep people's attention. So we kind of early on decided we didn't want to just do quarantine style videos. We do have one or two of those involved in the show, but we wanted to branch it out. We wanted to make it as close to what our kind of show would be. So we have little interludes and we have little comedy segments and, you know, obviously costume changes and guest stars of which, uh, Elio, you are one, which we're so excited. This cat has some pipes, y'all. I don't know if anybody's heard him sing, but when he opened his mouth, I was like, yeah, yeah, it's true. I actually said to Scott, I'm like, I think I'm going to lose my job. <laughs> Man, you got some pipes. Killer. A killer. He looks good in tights, too. You should be worried. Yeah. I saw him in leather pants, man, and yeah. I heard him sing, and I was like... <laughs> I'm, like so I'm saying, you know, you got to up your game, because he's he's coming for you. Yo, those... I, I Thank you. I appreciate it. Look, man, those leather pants, I spent all day... So when, when I was there Sunday, right? So I spent all day Saturday at Bridgewater Mall, like, hunting down leather pants. I was like, yo, how? why is it so hard to find a pair? Bridgewater Mall? I grew up 20 minutes from Bridgewater Mall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I walked, I went to Hot Topic, I went to Spencer's, I went to Macy's, Jason. So finally, I found a pair at Lord & Taylor, and they were going out of business, and they're like, look, sir, you can't return these. I was like, I'm going to be wearing them. No, there's, I don't think anybody's going to want these returned. So, yeah, yeah, that was funny. And but now, they were women. They were women's pants. I don't have a problem with that, but men, they, they do not make leather pants for men. I don't know why. Yeah. You got to do what you got to do, my friend. And if you were a music theater kind of guy, you're used to making little. Yeah, of course. Last minute swaps like that. Of course, of course. Well, you know, seriously, though, thank you guys for letting me be a part of it. Uh, it was a blast. It was an absolute blast. Just singing with you guys, singing with the band. So thank you for letting me be a part of it. It was an honor and a privilege to sing with you guys. So thanks. Thank you. You did. You did great. So I don't want to give too much away because it, it, honestly, it is one of my favorite parts it's because it was it was a new thing that we just had this crazy idea. Let's uh, uh, I want to do that. Uh, but de definitely we all decided that the next time we're doing a live show, we are doing that song with you. You're coming <laughs> to the next live show. So just awesome. just prepare yourself. Don't throw away the pants, is what he's saying. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate that. Thank you. So let's let's talk about the show itself. So it's uh, airing the 29th. How can people participate? How can... You know, look, performing arts, you know, everybody right now is glued to watching Netflix, Hulu, and, you know, whatever else. It seems that in the media, people are forgetting that there is an entertainment industry that is on its knees right now. Sinking, yeah. Because of how things have been handled here. What can people expect? How can people support you guys? I remember you saying that um, it's not necessarily a ticketed event, but you you guys are kind of, it will be pay gated at some point. Yeah, so we, we, we decided um, 
to do a ticketed event, it's uh we have a an event on uh, a link on Eventbrite, fifteen dollars for uh, for the uh, for the event, and there's different packages. You can do the package that gets you the Galron, uh, the election packet, which gets you the Galron and Martok pins and uh, and a poster. There's a packet that's the, the pins and, and the T-shirt, our new uh, Showdown 2020 T-shirt, and then you know there's little diff- different ticket options. But yes, it's on Eventbrite. Yeah, so I mean, if anybody really wants to get tickets, you can really any of our social media you can get to us if you go to our website directly uh the roddenberries.com we're on facebook twitter instagram we've got links all over the place for people to come in and enjoy our show now jg hertzler and robert o'reilly are both guest starring in this uh you're calling it a showdown showdown 2020 tell us a little bit about this theme and what we can expect to see well i'll tell you um you know when we originally had asked both of them bob and jg you know jg did our um album release show with us last year at World Cafe Live and it was a it was a hewer there Elio um, yeah, yeah it was a huge success it was such a fun show he's just such a wonderful wonderful person he's hilarious he's he's our punk rock Klingon uncle he really is um, but we asked him and Bob if they wanted to do this show and they both agreed and then we got John Paladin and he was going to come in and do all their makeup and prosthetics um, you know and then the pandemic hit and then we're like okay waiting waiting and then asked them if they still wanted to be involved, if we could get something together virtually. We weren't sure what that was going to be, but we would figure it out. They were both still interested in being involved. So, you know, we knew it was a, a really, really, really important election year. Everybody vote. So we knew we had these two amazing characters that are, you know, just iconic in the Star Trek series. So, all right, let's have a Klingon election. So that's what we were going to do. And we got them on board and we actually uh, sent a video crew to Bob O'Reilly's house in LA Uh, during the fires, it was insane. We weren't even sure we were gonna be able to shoot, but he was great, he was really into it. They did it in his garage, everybody was safe and distance and um, you know, everybody kept safe. Another group of us all did COVID testing and got in a couple of cars and drove five hours up north to go to JG's place and shot him all day outside of his house and- Recorded him playing keys as well. Exactly, recorded him playing keys because he really does that because he's a rock star. Don't let him fool you, he really is a rock star. (laughs) I I asked you this, right, Bill, the other day, I I didn't know, I, I saw him at the last event at World Cafe Live, and I, you know, I thought he was just, you know, futzing around on the keys. You know, he's an actor. He was playing. Yeah, he's playing, right? He's a he's a legit musician. Yeah, yeah. He used to be in a band. Yeah. You know, I got to ask you, and Bill, you don't have to, I, I, I may be putting you on the spot here, but then feel free to say no, but uh, is there any way you could share that picture of Robert O'Reilly, that one that you had? Oh, in the shorts? <laughs> of the shorts. There was two pictures. The other picture we posted as part of our, our promotional our promotional uh, images so that I think I'm going to find that and share that. Hold on one second. And so while uh, while Bill's doing that, uh, Beth, why don't you t- talk us through a little bit about the actual recording, right? So you guys had two weekends at Rittenhouse. And, you know, from what I remember you guys telling me, you were there all day for both those days and just, you know, working your butts off. It's true. So um, we did have two full weekends and it was uh, Saturday was for B-roll stuff, behind the scenes, um, commercial things, interludes, intros. And also we shot the dancers, those two separate Saturdays. And then on Sundays, it was the band and it was full days. And yes, it was it was a very interesting experience. I mean, this was, you know, safer. We had like two rehearsals. We hadn't all played together since our last show in December of 2019. 
So, you know, I think it was just, it was really good for everybody to be able to get together and make music and just to be together, even though we couldn't hug and love on each other, we could just make music. And it was, it was really nice. I mean, I personally hadn't, haven't been singing. I've been busy with all kinds of other stuff and keeping my sanity has been one of them, which I'm sure most of us, it's been such a crazy year, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. We got a lot of material. Um, you know, the, the guys at Rittenhouse Filmworks uh, are super, super awesome, professional. It's a huge, huge space. Um, it's basically like an air, like an airplane warehouse, you know, with, with just, and the magic of that place is that um, it can be transformed into anything. They have huge green screen rolls. They've got psych walls. They've got, you know, black curtaining we used all of it we really went to every bit of what the resources were um and thanks again to our chief engineer smiles o'hiron because rittenhouse is kind of his baby and he works there so um that was one of the resources that is something that we are very blessed to have been presented with because otherwise there's no way we would have been able to do this anything of this magnitude it was crazy i, I mean it, it it looks like a live concert you know the, the between the lighting and the, the hazers and it's just it's crazy like it's it's crazy i look back at some of the footage and i'm like is that us <laughs> now i didn't i don't think i got a chance to ask you this um while i was there but are there new songs that you guys wrote for i mean other than the the one that we did together the one that you did yeah baby uh what you know what else new material new stuff uh yes we do have a few um new bits of music that we're going to be premiering for the show a couple of them were written specifically for this show so i don't know if they're going to be reprised at all but oh yeah there's that picture um there is there is it is just glorious yeah absolutely glorious well you can't say anything to glorious you yeah say it, like it is glorious yep. the juxtaposition of him and man killing on makeup wearing <laughs> it's it's like the craziest like mullet experience but a non-Klingon mullet style he's like all Klingon up top and like all surf monkey below it is the best picture ever that was his that was his choice by the way like we sent him the jacket to wear and John Paladin had to ship all of the Martok prosthetics specifically to us, which we then drove up to JG. And then he sent all of the Bob uh, Gowron prosthetics over to him in LA. And we shipped another box of stuff for him to wear props. And we made a little thing for him to use. I'm not going to really talk about that because I don't want everybody to have their, you know, mind not blown at the show. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the shorts were his idea. He came up with a lot of stuff. He was ad-libbing a lot. And really the, the two of them, I mean, we've all seen their panels together or, you know, talk to them at conventions. They they fight like old married pirates. They really do. They're <laughs> hilarious, those two. And it's you never really know what you're going to get, you know, so it's you kind of have to wrangle them. But there's only so much wrangling you can do. We wrote scripts and we had things for them to read specifically. They We had them do voiceover stuff, um, you know, because obviously it's a campaign. They're both campaigning to get voted in as the Klingon chancellor for life. So I'm staying. We've got their little election bits and you know what i like to call the talent show um aspect of the election um and yes we do have how the swimsuit portion go was that was that, was that did that go turn out okay you know what i was really probably the only one plugging for the swimsuit portion oh. and uh i mean i guess really bob won because those kind of look like surf trunks so yeah i mean he was the closest that we had so <laughs> All right. Well, that's good. The, the candidates have to want it. They have to want it. 
Yeah, yes, they do. <laughs> so we've got we've got a showdown between Martok and Gowron. We've got all new music. We've got uh, amazing. Oh sh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, baby. There are those pants. Whoever can see this right now, check that out right there. Oh man. You were selling the sexy that day, my friend. Yo. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I was I was seriously standing back there with one of the dancers just watching, like with my mouth on the floor, going, "I'm I'm gonna lose my job today." <laughs> and, and, you know, and here's the thing: he says he's gonna go do this other singing thing, and he's gonna get a haircut. And I'm like, "Why? Don't do that. Don't go get a hair. Don't don't get a haircut. Look at this." I don't know, man. I've got this this that COVID hair, man. That COVID hair, man. No, no, it makes no. Me look, look at this. You're Cuban, no. bro. Like that's just look how sexy that is. Come on now. <laughs> Ladies and well, gentlemen who are in the audience, I mean this is a radio show, so let's just let's just set the scene here. He is he is he is full on winking at the crowd. He's only got a finger and a thumb on the microphone because he only needs a finger and a thumb on the microphone. It's under control, people. It's under control. And he's got the hair slicked back and stuff, and he is all all in black. I can't really see the leather in the leather pants. It's not shiny enough. We're gonna have to work on the lighting on that one there. But let me tell you, let me tell you, he's he owns that stage. He owns the stage, is what he's oh, doing. Oh, he here. did. I mean, Thank you. Oh, he Thank owned you. it for That's sure. That's probably people in Radio Land. Look, so. you guys made it easy, man. You guys made it absolutely easy. You guys are a talented bunch. It was an honor singing with you guys. Uh, it, it just, seriously, del absolute delightful. Absolutely delightful. So thank you for having me. You guys, again, made it fantastic. I, yeah, I'm honored that you've invited me to come back again and do it again. So thank you. Thank you so much. Listen, man, nobody ever leaves the village. Once you're in there, <laughs> we have our old guitarist doing all of the sound engineering. We brought him in to do all of the recording and the engineering. He's not really technically in the band even anymore, but isn't he though? <laughs> we do the same thing to people on our podcast, so don't be surprised if we don't send you something to edit or something too. It just happens. <laughs> it's just it's really organic how, how that happens. So people need to go to your Twitter account, your website. They need to go to Eventbrite and look you up. Fifteen bucks, uh, starting at fifteen bucks, you can go to seventy-five bucks if you want the Cadillac. Package. Yeah, the, glo the glory to the Empire package. Glory to the Empire package. Yes, the glory to the Empire. <laughs> Package. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. Get that going. And uh, and uh, and October 29th. Is there a particular day, a time they need to turn in? Yeah. It's going to be. Uh, I believe. Let me just double check. It's 8 p.m. 8 p.m. Um, and we are going to also uh, make it available. There's another showing at a, at 11 that night, and then multiple over the course of the weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We didn't announce those times yet, but we are going to because we want to make it so that it's available for people in the UK and in. Uh, in Europe and also on the West Coast. And, and so we're going to try to accommodate all the time zones. Now, here's the thing. We haven't covered everything that's happening because there are lots of surprises. And I don't want you to hint. I don't want you to tease. I happen to know one and it's awesome and it's definitely worth the price of admission. Captains, go to the Eventbrite website that I've already thrown in Restream chat and you'll definitely find it in our show notes for this episode and on our website and get your tickets for that October 29th show. It's super easy. They take PayPal and credit cards and I just got one. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> It's so easy. They didn't even know I wasn't paying attention to the interview anymore as I was doing it. They had no clue. They had no clue that I wasn't doing it. Yeah, they had no, they had no idea. And don't forget, Captains, this is, it's not just about the entertainment. Right now, like I said earlier, the entertainment industry is struggling very hard. So not only are you going to be getting entertained, but you're also supporting the Roddenberries for 
even more content and even more events. So please, please get your tickets now. Beth, Bill, thank you so very much for joining. Is there anything we didn't talk about or cover that you wanted to touch on before we let you go? No, I, you, you guys are just awesome. And uh, when you first were announcing your, your show, your, you know, your podcast that you normally do, you said it's like a community theater group doing their uh, labor of love. That's exactly what we are. And it's like uh, kindred spirits. So uh, thank you for having us on here. And um, yeah, yeah, appreciate that. I agree with my co-captain. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for coming on. Well, captains, that's all the news we have to check out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Welcome aboard, Captain. Congratulations. High score. Captains, before we move on to Star Trek gaming news, we need to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Hero Collector and Eagle Moss. Captains, if you are a Star Trek collector, then there is no reason why you should not be adding Eagle Moss to your collection. They just sent us a few sample models to talk about, and right now on air, I opened up the Chimera, and I have to say, it is absolutely gorgeous. The detail, the colors, the text for it, you know, where it says NCC 97400, you know, it's it reads the Chimera, is legible and clear. Also, incredibly sturdy. This does not feel cheap. It does not feel like it's going to fall apart in any way, shape, or form. Absolutely stunning, especially for its scale. Just absolutely gorgeous. Well, I'm excited. I ordered one, but I got oh, I yeah? got the Romulan ship. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. Nice. 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 I think I would want a brand next, though. Probably. <laughs> It'll be fun to see your, your video game experience come to life because these are all based on the models from the game itself. So they have taken them and recreated created them. Ellie was just holding up the chimera to the camera, and yeah, it looks like it, just like it does in the game. So if you are a, a, a lifetime Star Trek Online member, this was the ship that you got as a veteran, and it's Nog ship. It's specifically, this ship is Nog ship from the uh, Dominion War arc that they had that brought back all the DS9 actors. So it's just a, it's a fantastic looking model, and it's up on par with some of their other stuff that I have. Uh, it looks great. Yeah, this is absolutely stunning. These models are die cast. They are incredibly detailed and give you the opportunity of bringing your Star Trek online experience to life so that you can display it proudly wherever else you display all your awesome starships that you might have gotten in the past. So captains, we made the link a little easier for you to remember. Just go to PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash ships and there you'll be taken to Eagle Moss's website, to the Hero Collector website, where you can take advantage of 10% off of your order with promotional code priority one zero priority the word and the numbers one and zero you'll get 10% off and you'll also enjoy free shipping on your next order and this is part of an exclusive arrangement that uh, Star Trek Online has with Eagle Moss you're not going to find these ships which not only includes the Chimera but also the Buran like Kat was saying the uh, Romulan ship that the Vastum class that Portascu the Portascu uh, the Pathfinder and the Jemadar Carrier so uh, you're not going to find these anyplace else so that uh, take advantage of this offer it's a pretty good one and captains we thank Eagle Moss for their support of this episode. Does your resume start with the words bigoted, hateful warmonger, and go downhill from there? Is your superior officer's back just begging for a knife or eight? Are you pathologically sensitive to bright lights and shirts with sleeves? Then Cryptic has an opportunity for you, you sicko! Invading our timeline on October 21st, the account-wide legendary mirror bundle unlocks 
some of the worst offenses to galactic peace Star Trek Online has to offer. In this bundle, you can burn it, burn it all with the Agony Phaser Torpedo Launcher and Mirror Universe Phaser Dual Pistol. Or drop bombs and be a bombshell in the Mirror Odyssey, Antares, Sierra, Shorts, Romulan, Portascu, and Lita uniforms. Build your villainous retinue with the Mirror Porthos Non-Combat Rottweiler Pet and Mirror Hakeev Duty Officer. Show the galaxy. Galaxy, you're not to be trifled with, with faction-appropriate Mirror Universe registries on all your ships. Make sure history always remembers the name of your ship, as long as it's the legendary Dreadnought Cruiser. The bundle will cost you 6,000 zen, and whatever shred of humanity you may have still possessed. But who cares? It feels so good to be so bad. Alright, so let's, uh, let's, let's talk about this legendary Dreadnought Cruiser that everybody's gonna remember. What kind of warship is so tough, so powerful, so dominant that Picard, Riker, Data, LaForge, and Reginald Barclay plotted to steal her from Edward Jellicoe? Well, as its story was told in the pages of IDW Comics, the answer is, of course, the ISS Enterprise D. And now the Mirror Universe's most deadly warship has made its way to Star Trek Online as the Tier 6 Legendary Dreadnought Cruiser. You could certainly call this the evil twin of the Tier 6 Fleet Galaxy Dreadnought Cruiser that's been in the game for some time. The new ship diverges from the Fleet Galaxy Dreadnought not in a few key spots. For starters, where the Tier 6 Fleet Dreadnought sports a balanced 4-4 weapon loadout, the Legendary Dreadnought carries a more aggressive 5-3 layout. Legendary Ship also lets you double down on the tactical abilities with a Lieutenant Commander Engineering slash Command Bridge Seat. As with all Legendary Ships, gaining maximum ship mastery grants access to the Starship traits of its previous Tier 6 variants. It also comes with a brand new Starship trait, Best Hope of the Empire, which grants a damage buff and temporary hull points on the use of beam overload or lance abilities. So let's take a little time to talk about this bundle, right? It's it's stirred quite a bit of community feedback, right? Uh, first up, 6,000 Zen roughly translates to about $55, $60, depending on when you purchase Zen. And I think a lot of what I'm reading from the community is that what you're getting new is a ship, and then all these other parts, like the costumes and whatnot, are items that were either available to you on the Lobby store, so, for instance, you know, the uniforms were already on the Lobby store. So, unless you're an altaholic, you know, this may not apply to you. Uh, the Rottweiler was also a Lobby purchase. Uh, the Torpedo and Pistols were a Mirror event back in 2018 and again in 2017. Uh, mirror Hakeev Doff was a very rare Phoenix item, which you could claim right now. So, it feels weird that they're going to, you know, bundle this... <laughs> Let me say for what it is. It feels a little lazy that they're taking items that were already available to players in one form or another in a lobby store or whatnot, and then inserting them into this lockbox trying to bundle it out. I mean, that's kind of been the trend with some of these bundles recently. Mud's Market, a lot of that. I mean, all of that is stuff you could have, you know, received previously. Well, but there's, but like, for instance, the costumes, you could still get them, right? I could, I can somewhat rationalize Mud's Market as being one of those, the, the, the one way to get the items that you never got before in that one time. Like, for instance, I never, I didn't get a chance to get the Red Angel suit, right? I didn't get Burnham's suit for over the event because I wasn't playing Stowe. So, I could buy it out for 6000 or I could wait until it goes on Mud's Market at 
at a cheaper price or at least a more reasonable price for myself and then buy it that way. So I can I can rationalize Mud's Market in that way, but for a lockbox that is be a ship being sold for $60 with some perks that you may either already have or could get with all the lobby that you may have accruing because you were opening lockboxes. Well, a lot of people don't open lockboxes and the cost of opening enough lockboxes for enough lobby to get all those costumes on all the characters that you may want them on said me that is worth it because I like the costumes. So, I mean, the ship sounds good too, but the added benefit of getting it when it first comes on the market is because it'll be on sale. So the first week it'll be, you know, 25% off. So it's less, it's, I, I still think it's worth it for someone like me who has about a ton of characters. It, it's it's a way to monetize previously created content, right? I mean, you know, this is stuff, yeah, is it, you know, limited time offers or stuff that was only appearing in the second chance store. You know, I mean, it's it's a way to generate cash off that. It's a C store ship is usually what, 30 bucks for the tier six things? Yeah. So, and those costumes, they're like 200 lobby a piece, some of them. And I mean, some aren't that much, but, you know, they're not cheap. And if, and if you're supposed to average four lobby per box, that could be 50 boxes you have to open to get that out of the second chance store. So, I mean, it, it's 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 a good way for them to realize cash off of people that, like Kat was saying, don't do the lock boxes. So, but still maybe want some of those items and don't want to go on the exchange for them. I can also see this being for new players too, right? Players that are just coming in because they, you know, are eager to continue the storylines and experience the Star Trek universe between episodes of CBS All Access shows and didn't have have not had the opportunity of earning things like the Mirror Invasion event rewards uh, from 2018 and 2017. So I can see that. I can see that. I just as a as a long time player, a player who's somebody who's been playing the game for 10 years. I don't know. I just sometimes feel as if though what what when is there going to be something? This is for the me? trend though, and this is not just Star Trek online but it's every game that has a long history is the people that have been around the longest they still value you but you're not you're not somebody who is smitten anymore you're not smitten anymore the people that are coming to the game are smitten and they're gonna pull out their wallets because they need this thing oh and i have why, why didn't i play in 2017 when my friend told me I should have jumped on then. I meant those people will pay, uh, and and that's what these are these things are taking advantage of. I think it and it's people who have been for a long time. They feel a little slighted. They feel oh well, what's for me? You've already got everything, man. You've you've got you've got everything. And if you want more, you know the you know the drill. You're either paying Zen, you're you're uh, hoarding dilithium, or you're buying keys to get your lobby. I mean, you know the drill, and you'll do it because you've been around a long time. The guys in the Armada uh, did bring up a really good point: is that this is the first legendary ship that you could get individually. It wasn't in the pack, you know, so this is a pretty iconic ship. So I think, again, for the benefits of getting a legendary ship, you didn't have to buy the, you know, giant pack. This is, a, a, I think it's a nice, a nice bundle. Was this in the mass, the first nope. legendary pack? Nope. Not, nope. Nope. It wasn't, not at right? all. Okay. So this, yeah, all right. All right. So this is, okay. All right. So this is, they're answering the player's call, right? They're saying, yo, that it was bullshit to put all those legendary ships in a bundle and have us spend $200 on it. You know, why not sell it individually? And here's that opportunity. So the, the players complained and this was their answer. And you know what? Yeah, it, it for, for new time players and even existing players who may not have a legendary ship like this. Yeah, but it's the bad guy. It's your opportunity. It's not one of the yeah. cool ships. Okay, Cat says that's a good thing. That's right. I forgot. Okay, you're right. Cat's really pleased. About, all right, all right. 
Yeah. Tony, you say it like it's a bad thing. Ship. Come on. Jeez, everyone wants ISS for all their ships. Me, don't you? I do. That's why you get those uh, outfits. The, the, the pleather pants. Sorry. The pleather pants. We talked about that earlier. Okay, look. Those outfits, you get the you get the dagger armband. You get the, you know, all the, you get all the cool stuff. The, the shorts. You can wear shorts on all your characters. It is awesome. Now, just to outline a few things, the legendary Dreadnought Cruiser is not already upgraded to Tier 6X, so be aware of that. You're not purchasing this with already the ship upgraded, and that's about it. Captains, you may have noticed that your advanced phaser or disruptor arrays just don't have the destructive pep they once did, or your rising kit frame isn't stacking powers like it's supposed to, and the 30-day warranty already expired. You could try turning them off and turning them back on again. Have you tried that? Or wait for Cryptic to make it all better. On October 17th, Jeremy Bordicus Cryptic, Randall, clarified on Twitter that non-specific issues with the advanced beam arrays and the kit frame power stacking were not intentional nerfs. They will be fixed on an equally non-specific timeline. Soon TM. Soon TM. Thanks for the update, though, because I love that rising kit frame. Well, now it'll be all better again. Yeah, I'm still respecking all my characters, so that's all exciting. Oh, I forgot to do that. Well, no wonder I had a tough time on the ground mm. mission. <laughs> That's all we have to cover this week in Star Trek Gaming. Now let's look on screen for the newest episode in the Star Trek Multiverse. On screen. Computer. Set Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 1. That hope is you. Part 1. On screen. In a world 930 years in the future, bad guys still need subtitles and good guys can't get a break. The third season of Discovery begins as a subspace anomaly spits out a time-traveling Starfleet officer that crashes into a smuggler with an urgent appointment. After a pair of crash landings, Commander Michael Burnham is very excited to be alive, but also very sad to learn that there is no more Federation. After some extremely disinterested exposition, Book and Burnham go to White Castle. Remember, kids, when an Orion gives you drugs, it's not because he wants you to have a good time. After the worst executed jewel heist in television history, it's time for a chase scene that's a cross between Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and the classic video game Portal. Then, in a burst of efficiency rarely seen in modern Star Trek writing, every villain with a speaking role is brutally killed in a span of approximately 1 minute and 49 seconds. But that's okay, because the writers were going for the Star Trek 4 Save the Whales vibe. They almost pull it off with a Save the Carnivorous Sea Worm that ate two-thirds of the villains vibe. After Gracie is back in her pond, Book decides that he knows way more about the non-existent Federation than he originally let on. Finally, Book and Burnham, with their new assistant Aditya Uhura Sahil, raise a flag on the office wall and decide to take over the galaxy in the name of justice. Well, Captains, before we talk about our review, let's get through some statistics. First up, this episode was written by a team of people, including Anthony Marinville, Chris Silvestri, Brandon Schultz, just to name a few. But it was directed by Olatunde Onsunsami, who was there the night that I went to After Treks that first cool. season. Remember, guys? Remember when I was on After Treks? That was cool. And, and Sue, too? Yeah. Sue for Women at Warp was on After Treks, too. This episode premiered on October 15th. 2020. So let's jump right in. Kat, why don't you talk to us a little bit about what your takeaways were from this episode? All right. 
Well, I really enjoyed the episode, but you know, I I like the journey that Michael Burnham is on. So I thought they did a really good job, and the future looks pretty interesting. Except no Federation, so sad. But Mr. Sahil, so happy. Oh no, so happy. Oh no, it's it's there. Right, it's in tatters. Well, now, so let's talk about that favorite scene with uh, with Sahil. What what was it about it that really kind of spoke to you? I mean, he got up every day and did his job waiting for the thing. I mean, come on, he has faith, and I'm not going to say it. Do it. <laughs> no, I'm not doing it. Come on, they were brave enough to do it in, on, uh, on Lower Decks. You can no, do it. No, I ain't doing it. I can't do it. But anyway, no, he just, you know, he just exuded, you know, integrity and all the things that you would hope a Federation officer would, would embody. All right, what about any, what was your least favorite thing about the premiere? I mean, again, it's not very Trek-like for a show. It's more of a space adventure. So I look at it as a space adventure with Michael Burnham. And maybe it'll get around to being more Star Trek ish later on but not so much yet all right and anything else anything we might have missed that you wanted to talk about or highlight from the episode no except those orion truth drugs what (laughs) (laughs) so i want to address a a few things right there were before i even go into my own review first off is the concept and the the difference between what the Federation is and what mm. Starfleet is. So, because this episode was very heavy on glorifying the Federation, right? Almost to a reverence. No, it was a reverence. A re- almost a religious reverence to the, what the Federation was in the galaxy. And after the episode, I kept seeing on social media, and even Will Wheaton made this mistake on on the, the Ready Room After Show, where he said Starfleet instead of the Federation. And if I'm not mistaken, there's a difference between the Federation and Starfleet. Is there not? Oh, yeah. So, Tony, why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about that? I, I received a specific request pre-production to research this carefully, which I did. And I mean, this will be this will be something of a blatantly obvious thing to anybody who's been a fan for even the shortest period of time. But the United Federation of Planets is the political entity which encompasses multiple star systems and species that come together for peace and harmony and justice and goodwill and all those sorts of nice things, right? They're it's a country kind of, it's a nation kind, right? Starfleet is the exploration, diplomatic, and paramilitary arm of the Federation. It's an agency of the Federation, which has specific tasks that it takes on on behalf of that political entity, that government. And so Starfleet's like a subdivision with a job, and the Federation is the big thing that runs Starfleet. So Starfleet is not just Earth. Is not the Earth no. Starfleet? So no, 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 Starfleet no. is comprised of forces from all the planets that are part of the Federation. Yes, and, a, and this goes back to TOS, the Vulcanian Expedition. Here's a deep dive for y'all. The Vulcanian Expedition was a task force sent by Starfleet to complain about why the Vulcans weren't in, sending enough people to run Starfleet. So they were like, "Well, come on, man! Everyone's supposed to be chipping in. Why? Why aren't you? Uh, why aren't you helping out?" So I mean, this is it's. back in 2260 or whatever when the Federation was formed Starfleet already existed as an agency of Earth and then it sort of graduated to being an agency of the Federation so it's a sub sub part it's a contained thing under the umbrella so I think that that's a very clear distinction right or rather it should be a very clear distinction well but that it's okay Elio I think you're getting hung up on this because as we all know we put cannon in a blender so we just (laughs) mix stuff up (laughs) Uh, so it doesn't really 
matter anymore because after a thousand years nothing will be the same. And you'll have somebody who's an official Federation guy saying that only a commissioned officer can raise the Federation flag. And those of us who have been around this franchise for a long time will go, that's really stupid. But I'm why? sure there's a really why? good writer Wait, reason. No, first of all, you you are assuming that we are all at the level of nerddom that you may be at, sir. Oh, well, but I don't know why that's absurd. I, don't, I do not understand why it's absurd that he says that it has to be a commissioned officer. It's a flag. Anybody can do anything they want to with a flag. Flag. But aren't there rules for, for instance, the American flag? Like, it cannot be... Sure. It's a flag code. And guess how much of that can be officially enforced? Practically none, because of free expression. Well... So... So, yeah. all right. So, now that we have that out of the way, let's... Well, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Cat, back me up on this or, 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 or disagree with me. I mean, feel pleased. I mean, I'm... I mean, I'm... That, that, I'm not right. I don't know if he seems like anybody could okay. raise a flag in the building that you work in, but what do I know? <laughs> I yeah. mean, isn't it just decoration at that point? Pretty much. All right, so, Tony, you had feelings about this episode. Why don't you tell us about those feelings? Well, they're just my usual feelings about Discovery. I'm I am, I'm still giving them the chance, though. This is the first episode, right? They're trying to... This is a reboot, almost, basically. They're throwing cannon in a blender and sending them a thousand years in the future. Okay, all right. You know, I'll give them a little, a little bit of time to see if they can write themselves out of the corner that they painted them in, but I'm I'm skeptical because they did some things here that I, that just I wouldn't do if I were trying to reboot an episode. Like like all the interesting bad guys that you've spun up, you murder them all in the space of two minutes. Like what was up? What was know, up with Greg from, a, from Orion? Greg the Orion from accounting. What was up with him? I, you got me. I would have liked to have known more. <laughs> he was a big head hologram along with the Andorian when they first walked in, so they were obviously very important people to that you know outpost or whatever. Uh, obviously they were involved with the smuggler dude, right? They hired him probably to smuggle the big fish, you know, so they were antagonists sort of to maybe Book, or Book turned himself into an antagonist when he could, I don't, I don't know, but forget it, we don't need to know about that stuff anymore because they're all dead, so. I don't know, I, okay. didn't, I, I didn't come away missing them, or or even wanting to learn more about them. But then that's the problem, is that this entire first episode was just, what? Who cares? Like, they're not introducing bad guys, right? We don't, there's no, there's the, the, apparently the big bad isn't any of those guys because they're all dead now. So what, whoever, whatever challenges or whatever that they face during this episode are not going to continue. The, the It was clearly all just a lead up to meeting the guy in the office, which was, I mean, okay, but you don't need the whole show to lead to that. <laughs> you didn't, what do you mean, I mean the guy I, in the office? What guy in the office? You, the whole thing was a lead up to meeting the guy in the office. Oh, 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 I see. The, the liaison, the liaison. Anthony was in our Discord and said, you can go on the show tonight and say he only liked the last seven minutes of the show. And I and that was the only part of the show that's going that matters, right? It's the only part of the show that matters. The rest of it was just filler. I don't know. I don't know what it was. Like a blender. There's the blender. There, there you go. The 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 first forty minutes was just the blender. It's so interesting to me how we have so so different tastes. But you know what? That's what makes this show great. Uh, this podcast you great is that we can differ on our opinions. And I I actually really enjoyed this episode. I I can understand that a lot of it was filler. There it felt like there was no clear end or or there was no clear destination point right she but i think that was the point i think that the point of this was to because remember the end of season two of Discovery happened just minutes before, right? So this is 
technically, the, just five minutes later, after the big bat, after the big war and battle with control and whatnot. So I can I understand where it it slowed down quite a bit. It slowed down quite a bit this episode. However, what I pulled away from it was remarkable performances, performances that I had not yet seen before in Star Trek Discovery, and particularly from Sonequa Martin Green. Sonequa Martin Green has grown tremendously since Walking Dead days. And if you are, if you really want to kind of see her growth and you're okay with gore and blood and zombies and stuff, I encourage you to watch her during her stint on The Walking Dead because it's not just a different character. It's a different actor. It is a different person. And that's amazing. That's amazing to me. I mean, if I were still in college, I'd write a thesis paper about it, right? If this, if, for my degree in theater. Her growth, her reaction, you could see it specifically in how she reacts to things. It is so much more nuanced and expressive than years past. And I really don't think it has anything to do with her being raised by Vulcans in, this, in the past two seasons. Can I stop you? Nuanced, I do not agree with. Expressive, I agree with. It was, there was there was very little subtlety. There was not there was not a lot of subtlety there. When she when when she's happy and she knows it, she screams really loud. When she's sad and she knows it, she's got humongous puppy dog eyes. Like she's gonna like she's gonna lose it. I mean, there's not no new one. There's lots of expression. I'll agree with you on that one. There, it, it's not, but it's not as stark as in season two or season one of Discovery, where I feel like her acting was either A or B. Are we A, are we happy, or B, are we sad? Are we A, are we anxious, or B, are we fight? Like, it just, and and again, I don't, I think it talks about her craft and her development as an actor more than the fact that she was behaving Vulcan. And that's great. I think that, I mean, personally, as an actor, I'd love, I would love to hear that kind of feedback. You know, oh, you know, you've, you've, developed your craft and whatnot. They may have cut her loose. They may have yeah, cut her maybe, loose. From maybe. That. that that may be the difference. I still see it very digital. She was still very digital. She either she was on or she was oh, off. I didn't I didn't feel it. I thought she was fantastic. And, and didn't she say in an interview too that she said she approached the season differently, that she was just not, you know, not from a position of fear anymore. That might be well, so. I, and if that's the case then then you can definitely see it. Yeah. And I hope that they told her forget the Vulcan thing. I mean I hope that they did because I think that probably held her back quite a bit right so i mean and yeah and, yeah it was very stilted yeah and weird. it was it, yeah so i mean so yay that she's not feeling hemmed in anymore but I, she still feels very digital to me either she's all the way on or she's all the way off and the writing is terrible did i mention that i you, you can see, only do so much with the words you get I, that, that may be that the, so did i mention that the that other and, and actually book david ajala is another very nuanced actor and if i i was able to catch the um yes the his interview with will wheaton on the ready room and i mean he comes from Royal Shakespearean theater, right? He's part of that troupe. And he knew when to give it the oomph and when to tone it back. Solid, solid performance. He is great. And Green may get better after. We may see her get better through the season because a lot of times having somebody to work off of like that, that help that, you see that with people who do, who do stuff with like Stewart, right? Like everyone goes, I go in there and I just have to do it right. I just, you know, it's like I have to, you work off the other person, you react to them. And that, if you have somebody with 
like Ajala, who I would say is a good opposite of Greek, because he does have the slight. It's he has a slider, right? Yeah. He's got the Rhea stat. He can do. He can slide it up a little bit before he can slide it back down a little bit, and she's a little more digital. So maybe we'll see some more of the slider later. I mean, I, and I gotta say, I was impressed from the cinematography of this episode. You know, I just, I mean, they shot. It always looks. They, good. they shot in Greenland, but the opening of the episode that that space battle I thought was better than the control battle that ended season two. I thought that this one was way more engaging, more visually appealing. So I enjoyed. Did you go back and see, try to see what ships they were flying through, or see if you could recognize anything in the? I did, but I couldn't recognize. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't anything. recognize anything either. <laughs> well, they put cannon in a blender, so. And they put those ships yeah. in a blender too. Yeah, they put those ships in a blender. And you know, speaking about that cinematography and that artistry, I mean, at the very end in that final scene, everything visually dips to black, but we still have the cellos or bass playing the final few chords. I thought that was also very a, a nice touch, especially for that scene. You know, honestly, my only the only thing that really made me think twice about the direction that they're taking is I don't know that I really I don't know that the Federation should be revered like the Knights Templar or the Jedi, and that's the sense that I'm that that was presented. Right, the Federation are are this old guard that should be revered and and lifted. And it's not that I have a problem with religion and Trek. Right, we had all of that in Deep Space Nine. That's not the problem. It's like, man, were they driving that? They were driving that Federation as a thing that we should be be true believers, you know? Like, that just, it, it threw me for a loop. What I, I want to go back to the thing you said, this happened just five minutes right after she got back, right? Yeah, in theory. You know, she, she yeah, and the, the timeline is, you know, save the universe, get through, big shout, yay, I did it, it's, people are alive, hooray. And then she immediately decides that, I mean, that it's it's on her to bring back the Federation from the dead. It, it's like take a, take a minute, catch your breath, learn about your new environment. Why wouldn't you expect the Federation to be gone? You went a thousand years into the future. I mean, that is the way of things. I mean, she's an educated person. She's a Starfleet officer. Surely she's had some history classes. She should know that empires fall. That's what happens. She should again. She should feel lucky that anybody survived the AI ex- extinction, right? I mean, that yay, that's good. You know, she should expect those things to come. And I, I didn't, I didn't like it. Was it wasn't like it was like nativity that you wouldn't expect from somebody in her position. Somebody who has thought about temporal mechanics a little bit. Time travel. I'm going into the future. I don't know what I'm going to find. She's lucky she found somebody that speaks English or whatever. Now that you mentioned temporal mechanics, I really don't understand why there's this big, like, mystery behind where the discovery is. I mean, I look, I, I, I understood it in the J.J black hole red matter thing, right? The the red matter wormhole was like a force of nature, right? They weren't really controlling it. They just bleh, and Nero goes first or Spock goes first, Nero goes in second, they pop out, you know, 15 years apart. I can I can see it there. But in that last scene, you know, he's like, haha, well the you know the, they make a joke about the laws of temporal mechanics that the discovery oh, could right. show up, you know, a day later or a thousand years later. Which I didn't understand because the whole point of getting discovery into the future future was to follow Burnham. They had equipment. They had time travel equipment and set coordinates. So I'm a, that, I mean, not that, not that anybody's ever going to be able to explain to me temporal mechanics because you know, what? it's all made up, it's, it's all, all made hand up. Wavy. but I just feel like they were trying to do the, they were trying to say, huh, look, we did it in JJ. You guys are familiar with that. You know, it could happen whenever. 
the the whole time travel thing in Enterprise was a mistake. Time travel thing in Discovery is a mistake. Uh, it just the, the in season two is a mistake. They just you, you have to be so careful to do it, and it has to be so tightly wound, and it's just it's hard to pull off. And they just didn't, and they just needed to get them into the future. That's all there is to it. The less said about it, the better. That's that's really all there is. The less said about it, the better. You're here now. Deal with the world as you find it here. And you know they these guys. They, and here we're going to compound it even worse. They're compounding the error because in this setting there was the temporal cold war. They're compounding the mistake made by Enterprise by having the temporal cold war and re- and referring to it. These things all got outlawed when the temporal wars were over. Okay, so I mean it's like they're doubling down on a series of bat. They threw the cannon in the blender, but then they are picking out the chunks and eating them raw. It's guys get to them, get them to the future, and then just go from there and 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 just and just run with it. This it, 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 so much as the Gorn. Okay, she has no idea who the Gorn are. You know why? Because Captain Kirk didn't know who the Gorn were when they beat each other up on that desert planet with the sulfur and the fake and the not and the, true. And the Remember, line. Lorca had the Gorn skeleton in his closet. They knew they Lorca knew who the Gorn. No, were. they knew he had a dead skeleton. He didn't know. They didn't know what it was. He just had an interesting skeleton. Was there a plaque on screen that said Gorn? And if there was, why didn't Captain Kirk know about him? So, I mean, it's just these little stupid things, which is why I said the Lower Decks people need to have, like, this final script approval for everything in Star Trek from now on. You know what? I... I agree. You know what I was thinking is that this is the first, and I because I enjoyed this episode, and if I'm paying attention, this is the first time Akiva Goldsman is not a part of this production. And I'm starting to think I like Star Trek better when he's not involved. Whereas maybe you like it better when he is involved. Is he on Lower Decks? Uh, no, actually, he's not. Yeah. Well, I think he's he's big on Strange New Worlds, so you yeah. may be screwed. I know, Sorry, I buddy. know, I know, I know. <laughs> That wraps up this week's on screen for Star Trek Discovery. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Last week, our first community question was, do you believe the Star Trek franchise is diverse enough to avoid franchise fatigue? From Twitter, Berthold writes, how dare you presume I could ever be fatigued by or with Star Trek? Senor, no! Star Trek is life, the universe, everything. But if it isn't already varied enough for you, I'm absolutely positive it soon will be. And again, from Twitter, friend of the show and graphical wizard Jason Smith replied, Franchise fatigue? I watch CTV Sci-Fi, which has all Star Trek. I play Star Trek online and do artwork and wallpapers for a Star Trek-themed podcast. I don't think there is any franchise fatigue. From Instagram, Borg Cabezas Lucha responded, No, I don't think there will be franchise fatigue, as each show has a different feel and will appeal to different people, of course, with overlap. Seems like there just may be a little something for everyone. Finally, our second community question was, what Lower Decks content do you want to see in Star Trek Online? Hayden Jones writes in on Twitter, what do I want from Lower Decks and Stowe? The sense that I have a crew and a ship. I want to choose my interiors, even if limited, and I want missions to take place there. Repel the invaders, for instance. And I want the sense that my crew has lives that I can help with. Uh-huh. That sounds like Star Trek He Sims. wants a DOF system revamp. Uh, yeah. yeah, that yeah. would be nice. Also from Twitter, where well, Castillo says, I want to see the Spock helmet and the California class in-game. I want to see a contraband right. Spock helmet. Well, that wraps up episode 483 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. 
podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. But we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley, Peter Archibald, Gerald Bosch, and Joshua Selig. Oh, and here's a shout out to our newest patron, Roger. Thanks so much for joining the Patreon family. Here's a reminder of our community questions for this week. Who do you think Discovery's Big Bad will be? Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, Anthony, me, plus the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Stowe players, whether you're new or a veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you in part by our patrons through Patreon.com. During these difficult times, we are humbled by the continued support of our patrons who find value in the content that we produce each and every week. To offer your support, visit Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. A very special thanks to our guests this week, Bill and Beth of The Roddenberries. Don't forget, Captains, to get your tickets for the October 20th 29th event on Eventbrite. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, Brandon, William, Rand, Daniel, Roscoe, and Skiffy. Thanks to our producer, Jake, and associate producers, Shane and Thomas. Together, they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our social media manager, Anthony. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry, with support from Jason of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community. Our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Engage. Engage. This week in episode 483 of Priority One, we check out... You were like, off. Yeah, there was an off there.
I put in the link and yeah, it was what you could do is you could write out I, what you want to say before you say it, and then you could read what you, you wanted Tony, to say. You know what? You know what? Do you want to do what I do during the week as I prepare for things? Like, do you want to well, switch? You want to? So what? You what walk what in I've my often shoes? done is I've like on the intro and the closing, I have a standard script that we just shut read up. every week. Just shut I mean, up. just shut up. We do yeah, that for that a makes good it chunk boring. of this, right? That makes it boring. I'm trying to in, I'm trying to inject life into the show, Tony. Life. All right then. Just get the link right. Anything from audio editor? <laughs> Shut up, Tony. I could hear your judgment. I could hear your judgment. I wasn't even looking at the camera. I didn't wink. I didn't smirk. I didn't shake my head. Now I hear it. I hear Nothing. Nothing. It's in your head, man. It's in your head. Kurtzman explained the difficulties of filming during the epidemic, calling it a very system. What is that word? Systematized. Systematized. Kurtzman. Uh-uh. Sorry, dogs. Don't forget to tune in to part... Man, didn't even get to the first line. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network.